Brothers and sisters, good morning. A warm welcome to all our brothers and sisters who have joined us in church here this morning for worship of our trying God. We also extend a special welcome to all the visitors who have joined us this morning here in church and to those who are with us remotely via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged through the preaching of the gospel and may God be glorified by our worship. Consistory as the following announcements. The consistory as elders only will meet the Lord willing at 8pm tomorrow in the consistory room and this morning we welcome Reverend Poppy to the pulpit. This afternoon's service will be led by Emeritus Minister Reverend Velbin. Before we commence, let us sing together from Psalm 95, verse 1 and 3. Please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's now sing a song of praise to our God. We're going to sing together from Psalm 16, verse 1.
greatest gift that God has given us is the gift of himself. He's entered into relationship with us and he's promised to be our God and that we may be his people. In order to, to live in that relationship, the greatest thing he wants for us is to understand what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that God communicates that is also through his law. So when we listen to his law, then we understand how we've sinned against him and we understand what he's done for us in Christ. So let's listen to the words of God's law. This morning we're going to read it as it comes to us in Deuteronomy chapter 5. There God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or anything, or sorry, or your sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt. That the Lord God, your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So as we hear the commands of the Lord that, we, that we're convicted of our sin and we realize how much Christ has done for us, let's sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 19. There we're going to make a confession of our sins we're also going to trust God that we may trust God to forgive us for those. Psalm 19, the verses 5 and 6.
Let's now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Dear Father in heaven, once again this Sunday morning we meet together here as your people. You call us into your presence and it's our great joy to come before you. You are our God. You have revealed yourself to us. You desire to to have relationship with us. The greatest gift, Lord, that you give us is the gift of yourself, that we may know you, that we may speak with you, that you tell us about who you are and what you've done. When we open your word, Lord, and when we read about who you are and what you've done, then we stand in amazement of your character. You're a God who is filled with love for his people. You're a God who who desires truth and faithfulness. You always speak the truth. You're always faithful to your word. You're a God of relationship. You're a God who's entered into a, a relationship with us. After creating us, then you desire to for us to know you and for you to know us. We know, Lord, from your word that you know everything about us. You know the the inner thoughts of our hearts. You understand our motives even better than we do. At the same time, Lord, we acknowledge that we don't know you like that. We do know you. You've revealed yourself in the Bible. And it says we read the Bible, then we get to understand what kind of a God you are. We're amazed by it. But we pray, Lord, that we may know you more and more. We ask that our goal in life may be to to understand you, to love you, to serve you, to be near you, to walk in your ways, to receive your grace. Father, one of the great things that that we learn from you is, is you teach us about relationship. You teach us that the most important thing in relationship is is that we love you, that we love each other. And we thank you for modeling that for us. We also thank you for equipping us to do that. You've sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world as an act of love, his great love, you sacrificed him for our sins. And now, for his sake, you, you continue to pour your love upon us. Father, help us to understand that love. Help us to live out of it. Help us to reflect that in our dealings with others. We wish to open your word this morning to consider what you teach us about that. We wish to, to look at what you say about how to relate to each other and how to, to use our speech and, and what attitude we need to have to each other. Father, we thank you for this instruction, and we pray that we may open our hearts, that we reflect on, on how we're living, and that we may be blessed through it, that we may live as your people and walk in your ways. Give us the, the time and the mental space to, to do some self-reflection, and please draw us near to you, also through the word this morning. Father, thank you that when we sin against you, that you, that you offer to forgive our sins, we just read the law this morning and we, again, we, we realize that there's so many ways in which we fall short of that. We stand before you with empty hands. We don't have any excuses. We don't have extenuating circumstances that we can point to. The truth is that in our hearts that we are sinners. And that's natural for us. And we're sorry about that. We pray for your grace and forgiveness. And we thank you, Lord, for, for the promise to recreate us. We thank you that you've done that. We pray that you continue to do so, that we may live as new people who have your spirit in us and who seek to honor you and to glorify you. Lord, we thank you that we may bring these things before you in prayer. Please accept our songs and our prayers and our, our thank offerings. And please hear us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So this morning I get to continue preaching through the book of Ephesians. The, the text this morning is going to be taken from Ephesians 4, the verses 25 to 32. And in connection with that, I thought it's appropriate to put that into context. So let's start together reading at Ephesians 4, verse 1. So it was a couple of years ago that I um, preached on Ephesians 4, the verses 17 to 24. That's a passage where the Lord encourages us not to live like the Gentiles do, but rather to, to put away the kind of thinking that the Gentiles do. And so since I preached on that a few years ago, I'm going to skip over that now. So Ephesians 4, we're going to start reading at verse 1, and we're going to read the first 24 verses. You find that on page 1161 of your guest Bible. Hear the word of God. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. What is he ascended? In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old nature, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." That's as far as the reading is. 
Let's now sing together. We're going to sing of the, the gift and the joy of, of unity within the community of the saints. That's the key theme of this chapter. So Psalm 133, the verses 1 and 2. text of this morning is taken from the same passage from Ephesians 4. We're going to carry on where we left off, the verse 25 through to verse 32. Ephesians 4, verse 25 through to the end of the chapter. There God's word says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness 
and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So far, then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from Psalm 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, in Ephesians 1 to 3, the Lord tells us about how rich we are in Christ. For Christ's sake, God chose us, he adopts us into his family, he redeems us from our sins, and he promises to bring us into glory. We spent the last couple of months, we, we looked at how profoundly rich we are as the people of God. And since that's the case, the Lord now says to us, he says, I want you to reflect on that, and I want you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That's the first verse of Ephesians 4. And then in chapters 4 to 6, he spells out what that looks like. And here in chapter 4, the first and the main emphasis that he gives is he says, if you are thankful to me for the gift of my grace, what I've done for you in Christ, that the primary way you're going to show that is by living in unity with your brothers and sisters. And so in verse 1, he calls us, rather verse 2, he calls us there to treat each other with humility and gentleness, with patience and love. Then in verses 11 and following, he calls us to mature in our faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God. And he says, when you mature, he says, that will lead to, to being close to each other, to having unity and intimate fellowship with each other. Now it's It's one thing to read about that, but it's quite something else to put it into practice. The question is, what is it supposed to look like real life? How do you actually do that? And it's here in the last verses of this chapter that the Lord spells it out for us. He says that the way to become a close-knit community, the way to, to have unity, to have peace among each other, is by serving each other in love, is by fixing any issues that we have between us. And so I've, I've summarized God's word with this theme, God's people pursue caring, close-knit communities. And we do so through godly speech, and secondly, through a godly way of dealing with anger. So the first place the Lord tells us, he says, I want you to to reflect my character, I want you to be like me, I want you to be recreated in in Christ's image, and I want that to reach expression in your life through your speech. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The most foundational thing that leads to unity among the people of God is when you tell the truth. Therefore, put away falsehood. The Lord is a God of truth. He's a God who who always speaks the truth. 
And he actually tells us that he, he hates it when we lie. Proverbs 12.12, 12, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. You know, real life, brothers and sisters, we know how it goes. If, if somebody lies to you, that you destroy trust. It always comes out, somehow, some way, somewhere, the lies come out. And when the lie comes out, then, then the other person realizes they can't trust us anymore. We're not honest. And if you don't have trust, then you don't have relationship. The only way to have, have relationship with another person is if you trust them. If you open your heart to them, if, you, if you're willing to share with them. Well, if the other person lies, if you can't trust them, then on a really foundational level, you're not going to be able to open your heart to that person. But if you can't open your heart to another person, then everybody's at a distance. And then you don't have community. That you are not close-knit. Well, trust doesn't just happen, brothers and sisters. Trust takes time to build. Sometimes I have that conversation with my catechism students. I have a new student, and you know, periodically it happens that someone's looking down on their lap when they're saying their catechism. And so I ask them, I say, hey, you know, do you, did you memorize this, or, or are you reading it out of your psalm book? They say, I'm not reading it, sir. Don't you trust me? And then I say, well, trust takes time. You have to be trustworthy. I will give you my trust if you, if you prove yourself to be trustworthy. Now, thankfully, we live in a, a high-trust culture. We know each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We know that, that the other person has the spirit of Christ. And so we... We don't start off at a zero with other people, with each other, but we start off with a great deal of trust, with a three or a four or a five level of trust with each other. Just because we know that, that the other person knows God, and we expect them to be trustworthy, and they, they show themselves to be trustworthy. Well, that's such a blessing, because if you're in a culture where, where you expect others to be trustworthy, and if others have the Spirit of God, and if we can live with that kind of environment, then very quickly we can become this community where there is deep trust where we do open our hearts, where we can be deeply honest with each other. And it's in that context that God says, you need to put away falsehood. No lying. Because if you lie, you undermine it. You destroy it. You break relationship. You can't, you can't get close to the other person. Well, if I could ask you, reflect on your own life, brothers and sisters, do you, do you have fairly trusting relationships with others? From what I know of you, I think that most of us have some people with whom we have a fair bit of trust. We have some close family members or close friends that we trust a lot and we really open our hearts to them. We may have some other people that we, that we trust a fair bit, but trust takes time again it's only in the context of, of relationship that you really grow in trust. This is really God's desire for us. At the same time, sometimes we don't have a lot of trust. Sometimes we hold back from opening our hearts because sometimes we're not sure how we're going to be received. And it's really quite scary to open our hearts to another person and if the other person mistreats us, if they don't treat that well. And then you realize how important it is 
to, to take these words to heart. You know, sometimes it, it's because we're, we're rather critical of each other, quite judgmental. We don't really understand the situation, yet we're willing to pass judgment on the other person. And when you're in that space, then you know, sometimes the person who's speaking, they say, well, I'm just speaking the truth. I'm just telling them how it is. I'm just giving them some perspective. You know, maybe the truth. But if you keep reading in our passage, the Lord says it's not enough just to be the truth. You know, God says it has to be the truth in love. Verse 15. Speak the truth in love. Well, if you think about the, the conversations that you have with others, brothers and sisters, before you judge someone, before you criticize them, do you know them? Do your comments come from a spirit of love where you really love the other person? And that the, the words that come out of your mouth, they're, they're words of truth that are spoken in a spirit of love? You know, that's really the core calling of our text. If you go forward a few verses to verse 29, verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. No corrupting talk. Well, the first place, that's, that's no lying, no falsehood. But the word for corrupting here, the word actually, it refers to, to something that's decaying or rotting. Often a fruit or sometimes decaying fish. Or it's also used, one of the contexts is used of a tree that's useless. It doesn't produce any fruit, doesn't do anything, it's a useless tree. Well, now God applies that to our words. That no corrupting words come out of your mouth. Nothing that leads to rot. Nothing that leads to, to division. That leads to, to an unnecessary division. To, a, to looking down on the person. To cutting them, cutting them up. To judging them without really understanding who they are or where they're at. It's quite striking. The, the contrast here is only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. Well, if you, if you read elsewhere in this chapter, it, it talks about some of the corrupting talk and it, it builds up the contrast. So verse 25, God forbid it a falsehood. In verse 31, Paul forbids clamor and slander. The word for clamor, it actually means yelling. So he says no yelling at each other. And slander is, is more corrupting talk. Or Ephesians 5 verse 4, he forbids obscenities, foolish talk, or coarse joking. So what God's saying here is he's saying your words, they, they can't be lies, they can't be gossip or slander, they can't be these empty words that are, that are degrading for the people around you. They shouldn't be obscenities, they shouldn't be swear words. God's saying... Your words, they need to reflect my character. They need to reflect who I am. And so they need to be, to be upbuilding words, encouraging words. Words that are good for building up as fit the occasion. If your words build somebody up, then usually they come from a heart of love. They come from a spirit of understanding. They come from a desire to bless. Sometimes you encourage, sometimes you comfort, 
Sometimes you exhort. If you have, if you have good words, and sometimes they're words that, that identify the presence of God in a person's life, that help the person to frame things in a good way, words that really build the other person up in, in their lives, in their service of God, in their perspectives. You know, there's so many examples of that in the Bible. Maybe I'll just reflect just with a couple of them because sometimes we know this, but we don't always know what it looks like in real life. And so one passage that's, that's really encouraging in this regard is the book of Corinthians. When you read through the book of Corinthians, there's so much exhortation that Paul has to give to these Corinthians. They just got a lot of stuff wrong. And yet it's so striking. When Paul first talk, starts talking to them, then he starts off by thanking God for them. And he has so much appreciation for the spiritual gifts, the spiritual blessings that they have. And then he, he praises them for the good things that they do. And it's only in that context that he goes on and he addresses them about some of the concerns that he has for them. And so he doesn't come in, guns blazing, you know, blasting them for everything that's wrong. He remembers who they are in Christ. And he calls that to mind and he thanks God for that and encourages them in that. And in that context, he has a couple of words for them in which he says, now you also need to grow in this, this, and this. Well, those are wonderful words. Those are words that, that give grace, that fit the occasion. Or in Proverbs 20, verse 5, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. I'm not sure the last time you had that, brothers and sisters, you had someone who really understands you. Somebody who draws you out. You're... You're trying to figure yourself out sometimes. You're trying to think through a matter, trying to know what's the right thing to do or how to think about something. And sometimes you meet someone who, who knows you and loves you and who engages with you and who seeks to understand where you're at. And then at times, you get to see things more clearly. Or sometimes it happens that people, they, they put into words what you always thought about something, but you're never able to crystallize the idea. And the other person puts it into words for you. And it helps you to hold on to that idea. It's something that's really deeply held, but you haven't been able to have the words to know how to say it. Well, those, those are stunning words that build others up. That's the kind of speech, that's the kind of conversation that the Lord wishes us to have where we, where we really bless others. It's actually what, what God says here, that they, they fit the occasion and they give grace to those who hear. Now my job is it's mostly about words. I preach and I teach and I visit with people. It's pretty much all words. And they have to find the right word. The right word for the right time. That's what God says here. It as fits the occasion. Well, how do you find the right words at the right time? You know, that's, that's the calling. And then the way God frames it here, he says that it may give grace to those who hear. That's the foundational thing. Beautiful words, fitting words, they're often words that come from a perspective of grace. Remembering who God is. Remember what God has done. Remembering how much God loves us in Christ. Remembering what God's attitude is to the person in front of you. 
So often we see the sin and we see the brokenness. But if you remember that this person is, is a child of God, that they're precious, that they belong to him, that many times you can have good words, you can have the right words. And you really have to pray to God that God give you the right words. It's one of the most precious things in the world when you can do that. Proverbs 25:11, Solomon says that finding the right words at the right time is like precious jewelry. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Well, if you have those kind of words, brothers and sisters, then that really builds up community. That's what leads to, to real love, to real unity, to real closeness. And that's God's calling. That's what he wants of us. He says, since I've saved you in Christ, since I've done so much for you, I chose you, and I redeemed you, and I saved you, and I, I'm going to give you glory. I'm going to bring you into the new heaven and earth. He says, I want you to reflect on that. And I want that to be reflected in your life. And I want that to come out by pursuing unity with others in the church. And this is the foundational way in which I want that to happen. And then there's two other ways that God says there's this one verse in between here, verse 28. It was too short to give it a separate point, but I could have done that. Verse 28 there, it says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone, who need, anyone in need. When you read that over, you kind of wonder to yourself, this whole section is about relationship. And so why in this section about relationship are there these words about working hard and not stealing? The answer is because it builds relationship. This passage is not in the first place about, about words, about attitudes, but it's about relationship. And God's saying here, he's saying one of the ways you build relationship is stop stealing. That's another one of these complete relationship killers. If you steal from another person, you are done. No trust, you just destroyed that relationship. It takes a huge amount of humility it takes a willingness to restore what you have stolen and to humble yourself before the other person and to go the distance with that person where you show yourself to be trustworthy for a long time before you're going to be able to rebuild the trust between you and them. But if you do the opposite, if you work hard with your own hands, and if you do that not for yourself, but if you do that, Paul says here, to share with those in need, then that's a huge relationship builder. When you give to another person who's in need, you recognize the need and you love that person, you fill that need, then that leads to, to great unity, to great harmony. That's a, that's a stunning blessing. In a real life these days, on the ground right now, we have the folks over in Fairhaven. And life's busy in Fairhaven. There's a lot of pressure in a lot of ways on the residents, on the staff, on the volunteers, there's a lot of people who've stepped up and who really help out in Fairhaven. It's really beautiful what's going on there. But in the meantime, they're busy. The staff is very busy. The residents are very, or the, uh, the volunteers, they're very busy. And so if you have an ear for that, if you have an eye for that, if you help out for those people in that kind of situation, you know, ask somebody, you know, can I make a meal for you? Ask one of the, one of the staff or one of the volunteers. Can I help out in some way? Well, if you give to a person in that need, in need like that, that's a huge relationship builder. And that's God's intention. He wants her to be love, to be unity between us as his people.
And that leads to the next thing, and I've, that's the next point that I have here that also we need to deal with our anger. In the next verse, Paul continues, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So another way to deal with or to, uh, to build up community is to deal with any anger you have in a good way. Now, anger, now usually it's, it's the result of perceived injustice. It's actually some people, if you want a definition of anger, what's anger? I read a definition one time. Anger is an energy response to perceived evil. If I think that you've committed injustice, then my natural reaction is I get mad because that's no good. You're not supposed to do that. That's not allowed. And on one level, that's a good thing. Could you imagine if people committed injustice, serious injustice, serious evil, and you turned around and you said, oh well, these things happen. Hope it doesn't happen again. Well, that would be terrible. It's really important when there is injustice that we, that we call it out, that we recognize it, and that we deal with that. But the problem is that when we get angry, then many times we end up having this strong emotion in us and we don't know how to deal with that in a good way. James 1.18 says, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. Usually when we get angry, we have this strong emotion and it leads to, to all sorts of, of difficult, terrible things. Here in our passage, it talks about two different ways in which anger affects people. It can either go hot or it can go cold. You have a hot anger. There's a word in verse 31 there. Paul lists a bunch of ways, of wrong ways of dealing with anger. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And one of the words in the list, list there, the word for wrath, it, it means that you have an intense anger. And it's often associated with an outburst of anger. And so sometimes that's what happens to us. Some people, they get, they get angry and they blow up. They get really mad and there's, everybody knows about it. And it's in that situation, you also have the next thing, the next word there is clamor, they start yelling. And I've been in, in a few situations where people got really angry and they get really mad and they start yelling and yelling and yelling. Well, that's the one thing that the Lord really warns us against here. He says, you need to, you need to watch. You can't, you can't let this happen. He says, you can't, you can't do that. And then the other thing that he warns against is when the anger goes cold. Some people get really mad about stuff, but they don't say anything. They don't have that, that outburst of anger, but instead they internalize it. And they keep it inside of themselves. And what it does is it leads to bitterness. It's there, but it poisons their outlook. And then what happens over time is when they have any dealings with the other person, they haven't dealt with the anger, they're still mad at them, but their outlook towards that person is poisoned. And so their natural reaction is to be suspicious of the other person and to view everything in a negative light. Anything the other person does is viewed negatively and you think about all the wrong things that the person is doing. 
You have to be so careful with that because if that happens, then it can, it can settle deep. If that's not addressed, if that's not dealt with, that's one of the things that God calls us here in our chapter. He says, you need to deal with that. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. If you have that, that cold anger inside of you, if you let it sit there, then not only are you angry with the other person, over time what happens is that you get angry with their people, with their family, or with their friends, or with their, the people who they associate with. And if it's not dealt with on that level, then sometimes what happens is it goes to the next level, then it's all those people. That whole church, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I don't know if you met any really, really bitter old people, brothers and sisters. I've met a few of those people in my life. There's often a real deep anger that people have that they've never dealt with. And it's really quite dangerous. The Lord warns us against that. He says, if you have anger in your heart, he says, you need to deal with it. Because he says, otherwise you give place to the devil. It's not just an interpersonal thing, brothers and sisters. We're involved in spiritual war. We're engaged in a spiritual struggle. It's a struggle over our heart and soul. And if you, if you have division with other people, if you let that division fester, if you don't deal with some of the anger that you have within you, then in the end, that ends up giving the devil a foothold. He gains place. And then he uses that to leverage that in all sorts of different ways. He wreaks havoc into our lives. How often doesn't it happen that when we're angry, that it leads to isolation and estrangement? That it leads to resentment, to harsh words, to broken relationships, to self-pity, to pride, to drunkenness, to despair, to loneliness. The Lord doesn't want you that for you. You belong to him. You're his people. He says here, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you give these sins a place in your life that, that leads to, to grieving the Spirit of God. He bought you with his blood. He lives in you. A couple of weeks ago we saw that, that the Spirit is given to you as a deposit. There's a guarantee of what's coming to you in the future. There's going to be an eternal glory for you. And today you have the Spirit living in you. Well, if you give anger a place within your hearts, if you, if you let it fester, then that deeply grieves the Lord. That doesn't lead you in His ways. That doesn't lead to, to good end for you. And so the Lord calls us to repent of our anger and to flee from it. What does it mean, real life, brothers and sisters? Also in the scripture, the Lord says, real life, he says, in the first place, don't get mad. Just don't go there. It's back in Proverbs 19, verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. 
Good sense makes you slow to anger. You have a lot of wisdom. If you don't take offense quickly at what other people do. And if you can't deal with that, do that. If you can't overlook it, then you need to deal with it. And God says, Matthew 7, he says, first take the log out of your own eye. Deal with your own stuff. Humble yourself before the other person. Acknowledge your own issues. And once you've done that, then he says, Matthew 18, then you go to your brother. You confront him with his sin. Leviticus 19, you be frank with him. You call him to repent. And so you talk it through with the person. You put it on the table in humility. You talk it through. You ask for forgiveness for what you did wrong. You ask the person to repent for what they've done wrong. And you pursue the person in love. You speak the truth in love. Your motive is love. You love the other person. You want to restore them. You want it to go well with them. It's interesting in the, the parallel passage. Or sorry, no, first in verse 32. I'll get to the parallel passage in a second. First verse 32, the Lord takes it the next step. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's really the core. You have to be, be kind. You have to be tender-hearted. You have to have a willingness to forgive. The parallel passage in Colossians 3, the Lord calls us to bear with each other. You don't take it out at the other person immediately. You bear with them. You carry them. Maybe they did say things that are really hurtful. But instead of making them pay, you let it ride. You're tender-hearted. You're willing to forgive. It's pretty hard, brothers and sisters. Especially if someone's sinned deeply against you. The more personal the sin, the deeper it is, the deeper it cuts, the harder it is to do that. Well, how are you supposed to do it? Is it realistic? You know the answer. It's not something you can do in your own strength. It's something that your Savior needs to equip you to do. We have a Lord who was in that space, who experienced injustice. You know, that's the problem with our anger. Our anger is perceived injustice. Our anger is often really quite selfish. When other people sin against us, do we get really mad? When's the last time that you got really mad about someone blaspheming God's name? Maybe it happens that you're in conflict with another person and you're so mad about what they did wrong. But then you hear somebody else talking about them and they slander them. They don't speak the truth. You have no sadness in your heart whatsoever that the other person was slandered. That shows the nature of our anger. It's often really selfish. That's one of the reasons anger is so dangerous. But when our Lord Jesus came to this earth, then he suffered real injustice. It wasn't just a selfish injustice, it was a, a very real injustice. It's really quite striking if you think about the words that people said to him. If you think about the way that people grumbled against him. If you think about the way that his own brothers refused to believe in him but showed him utter contempt. 
Well, he didn't blow up at them. Or when the Pharisees approach him with malicious intent. It's one of the things our text talks about. They try to trap him. He doesn't get angry with them. He doesn't blow up at them. Or when they rejected, when they mocked, when they betrayed and killed him. Then he doesn't try to get even with them. He doesn't take it out on them himself. No, he patiently bore incredible evil. And the whole time he's seeking to restore people. He's working in his heart to get people to a stage that they do self-reflection. That they, people ask him a question and he turns it around so that they, they have to think about who they really are and what they're really saying. And so while he's being incredibly attacked from all sides, he's still trying to bless the people with whom he's, he's speaking to. He's still trying to show them grace. He speaks the truth to them. And then you know the pain that he experienced when others mistreated him. It wasn't just the mocking and the slander and the lies and the persecution and the hatred and the manipulation and the estrangement and the murder. But it was really the wrath of God. How is it possible for you and me to deal with other people who have sinned against us, brothers and sisters? It's possible by remembering the sin that you committed and the sin that Christ bore for you. Every one of your sins that you've ever committed has to be covered. It's the only way for you to be, to be able to have a relationship with God. It has to be paid for. Every lie you've ever spoken, every time you've ever yelled, every time you've ever gossiped about somebody or slandered someone, every time you've gotten angry, every time you hold on to bitterness in your heart, all those sins have to be paid for, and all those sins were paid for by your Lord and Savior. He died on the cross, and he bore God's eternal wrath against all your sins, because he wants you to know God. He wants you to have a relationship with God. He wants you to be reconciled to each other. He wants you to have a relationship with one another. And so he's willing to bear your pain in order to restore you and to make you whole again. The only way to deal with each other, brothers and sisters, is to spend time at the cross. You have to sit at the foot of the cross. You have to remember your Lord. And so as you humble yourself before him, and as you call to mind what you've done against him, that he'll give you a new heart and he'll give you a new spirit. You'll become a new person. And you'll have grace with people. And you'll have patience. You'll have a desire to, to help them, to set them free, to love them, to bless them. It's when you spend time at the foot of the cross that the words of Luke 6 become possible. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. But when you live that way, then you become a new person. Then the peace of Christ settles into your heart. Then your life is not governed by the sins that have been committed against you. But then your life is governed by the grace that's been extended to you. And when grace 
is the source of your life, brothers and sisters, then you can deal with life. In God's spirit, he lives in you. Then he carries you. He renews you. He makes you strong. And then you're able to deal. If there is still brokenness between you and others, you're able to deal with that. You're able to have the patience, the humility, the gentleness, and the bearing with others that's needed in order to be restored in relationship with them. Then you're able to forgive others for the sins that they've committed against you. Then you're able to, to experience the nearness of your God. Well, that leads to the great joy. It's the calling that Christ extends to you this morning, brothers and sisters. He wants you to live a life, to have unity. So I'm going to read the words of the Lord Jesus, Matthew 11:28. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Start again. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You have to take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. So the passage that Paul was quoting here in, uh, when he calls us to put away our anger is a quotation from Psalm 4. So we're going to sing that psalm, Psalm 4, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
Brothers and sisters, let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer, in the first place, we're going to remember that this morning, 6.30 this morning, that the Lord took our sister Ji Van Doon home to herself, to himself. So this is the, the mother of our sister Jerry Carrion and also Brother Butch, John Van Doon. So we'll pray to God. We'll thank the Lord that, that God took her home. Our sister was 86 years old. In the last years of her life, she had dementia. So the family's really thankful to God that her, her suffering is over. We'll also remember the, the Synod of the Canadian Reformed Churches. They hope to meet. They have the prayer service tomorrow, and they're going to meet for the next few weeks, the Lord willing. So we'll ask God for a blessing over them. And we'll also remember a couple of weeks ago, it was mentioned in the bullets, and I don't think we prayed for it, was our sister Casey Klein um, is engaged to be married to, uh, to Callum Decker. Where are you? So remember them in, in Thanksgiving prayer. Let's pray to God. Dear Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we humble ourselves. Father, we, we hear your calling here, that we have peace and unity among us. That as families, that as, as a church community, as brothers and sisters in Christ, it is your great desire that we love each other from the heart, and that we, that we build each other up. Father, it is your calling that we use our speech in ways that are encouraging, that give grace to those who hear, words that are fitting, words that, that bless others. You also call us to, to put all anger away from ourselves, to repent of that, to flee from it, and to, to live lives in peace and unity with the people around us. When we hear those things, Lord, that we have to humble ourselves before you. We are those who get angry. We are those who hold on to our anger. We are those who, who at times say lots of sinful things. Sometimes we, we raise our voice or we yell. Sometimes we, we say, we twist the truth. We say things that are not really true. We slander others or we gossip about them. Sometimes, Father, we, we lack any grace in dealings with others. We judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge others by their actions. And then we condemn other people for, for different things. Lord, there is so much sadness, so much pain, so much destruction, isolation, estrangement that's happened between us. We want to confess that to you. We want to, to acknowledge that, that we have sinned. Sometimes we, we've said and done things that are, that are really grieving you, that grieve your Holy Spirit. And we're sorry about that. And we repent of it and we pray for your forgiveness. Father, we ask that you would help us that we, when we suffer and when we're in pain, that we don't allow those things to become too big in our lives. When we suffer, Lord, help us to take the example of King David. He entrusted it to you and he gave it over to you. He was a man who knew a lot of suffering and he experienced it from, from the people who were very closest to him. They sinned against him in profound ways. And yet, Lord, instead of, instead of living in anger, he was a man who was able to give it over to find peace. The injustice didn't rule his life, but rather it was your grace that ruled his life. And so he was, he was able to deal with it in a godly way, and he was able to, to resolve many of the, the difficulties that he faced. Father in heaven, we pray for a rich measure of your Holy Spirit. We ask that, that you would live in us with the spirit of our Lord Jesus. Christ lived in David, and Christ also lives in us. 
And through the Spirit of Jesus, we pray, Lord, that we may be able to, to live the kind of life that you intend. Grant, Lord, that, that we can resolve any, any differences we have with others. Grant that we not take offense, but that you give us the wisdom to be slow to anger, to overlook an offense. Grant us the, the courage to humble ourselves before others, to acknowledge our own sins and weaknesses, and to ask them for forgiveness. And help us to, to have the courage to also confront others when they've sinned against us, to ask them for great, for their forgiveness, and then you know, for their, that they acknowledge their sin, and then that we may show them grace and forgiveness. Lord, this is your work. You have to do it for us. We thank you that you promised it. So we pray that you give us great faith that we may live it out. Father, we also pray that as a congregation that we're able to help each other as we have opportunity. I think especially of those in Fairhaven at this time, Lord. So thankful for, for this community that can take care of the, the elderly members of our congregation. Lord, in the first place, we wish to, to remember our sister Van Doon and her family. We're thankful, Lord, that, that you took her home. Lord, you know our sister. She lived to be 86 years old. She had quite a life. There's lots of different experiences that she's had in her life. Some really difficult experiences and some really beautiful experiences. Thank you, Lord, that you guided her and watched over her. Thank you that, that you are her father. Thank you, Lord, that, that you extend us the promises that we may know that, that you take your people into glory. And then we pray for, for her family, Lord. We ask that you be with the, with the Vindun family. Please be with her, her brother and sister, Mabut and Carrie Jerrion and their children. Please also be with, with John Vendoon. Please also be with the other siblings and, and their, their children. Be with the whole family. Father, we ask that you would surround them with your love and nearness during this time. We're grateful together with them that, that the suffering of our sister is over. But at the same time, Lord, it will leave a, a big hole in their lives. And so we pray that you would comfort them with the promises of the gospel. We ask, Lord, that we may reflect upon the truth that you, you've told us, that, that all of us who believe in Christ will be raised one day, and that we'll live with you in a new heaven and earth, that already when we pass away, that we, we get to go to be in your presence. Thank you, Lord, for these immense promises. Thank you for the, the joy and the glory that our sister can experience together with you. Lord, please, please also be with the family as they have to bury her body. And please grant that, that they may be comforted and that they may go well. And Father, we also pray that you take care of the, the other residents at Fairhaven, I want to ask, Lord, that you be with them. They're, many of them are, are in their rooms, and you can't really go out. We ask that you would comfort them during that time. We also pray that you be with the family members and with the staff and also with the volunteers. Think of the family members, Lord, that make a lot of visits to, to their elderly parents. We're so grateful for that, and we ask for your blessing upon that. And we also think of the staff, Lord. It's been a very busy time for them. They have had to do a lot of work. There's lots of people who couldn't come in because they had COVID. And so it's been quite an intense experience. Lord, we pray that you would sustain them through that, that you carry them, that you give them strength. We also pray that you bless the work that they do, that they may be a blessing for, for the elderly residents. We also pray, Father, that, that they may also be provided for, that you look after their families and their loved ones, that it may go well for them. And we also so, we're also so grateful, Lord, for so many volunteers who'd be willing to step up and to help out thankful for all the, the care that they offer and for the love that they have in their hearts. We pray, Lord, for a blessing then, that this may be a, a beautiful experience for those who are working together 
that in the end that, that our elderly parents may also be cared for. Dear Father in heaven, we also wish to ask you that you care for the rest of us, each of the various circumstances of our lives. Some of us have had operations. Some of us are under doctor's care. Some of us are grieving the loss of loved ones. Some of us have to deal with, with darkness in our lives, with, with a lot of emotional pain. Lord, we ask that you would please be a father to us, that you carry us through these things, that you give us a rich measure of your spirit and that you comfort us. Lord, thank you that you are the healer of your people. And thank you that you sustain us day after day. And thank you for your promise that you, you will never let go of us, but that you will, you will be faithful through to the end. We, we base our life on those promises and we ask you for your blessing. Please also bless us in, in all the other relationships that we have, Father, that we may have beautiful relationships, not just within our, our church community, but also with our families and, and with our loved ones. Please grant that we may have good fellowship. I also wish to bring the Canadian Reformed churches before you throw in a grace, Lord. Grateful that as churches that you get to meet together starting tomorrow, I want to ask for your blessing over their synod. Pray, Father, that you would give them a rich measure of your Holy Spirit, that they're able to make good decisions that honor you. Grant that there may be a spirit of listening to one another, that there can be a desire to be faithful to your word. Give a spirit of humility, that there may be consideration. And please grant that collectively, that they may make many good decisions that honor you and that are for the well-being of the churches. Dear Father in heaven, we ask that you would please be with our sister churches in Canada, that you would help them to remain faithful and joyful, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ may be the defining feature of their church life, and that the members may walk before you in gratitude and in faith. Thank you, Lord, for, for the close relationship that we may have with them, and thank you for the blessings that we also receive through them. And we also wish to thank you, Lord, for, for the blessing that you've given to our sister Casey Klein and, and also to Brother Callan Decker. Grateful, Lord, that they could be engaged to be married, and we wish to entrust them to your throne of grace. Please bless the plans that they have and grant that in due time that they may be married, that they can have a lot of joy in that. Grant that, they're, that as they, they look forward to it, that, that they and their family can, can receive your, your grace and blessing in a rich way. And we ask this not only for them, we have a number of other couples in our church as well that are hoping to get married. Please also be near to all of them and, and grant that they may use this time as a time of preparation for married life. And Father, we also thank you that on this day we may celebrate Mother's Day. So grateful for, for the gift of, of our mothers. Thank you, Lord, that our mothers, many of our mothers, when we, when we look back at our, our childhood and when we look through the course of our lives, that we're able to see what a blessing that we've received through them. Lord, we, when we think of mothers, many times they, they live a really quiet life in the background where they spend their whole day serving and serving and serving. Thank you for that. And we pray that you bless them for that. Please be near to, to the mothers in our church as well, that they may have a real sense of, of your grace, and your nearness, and your blessing in their lives. And please give them strength and energy to continue the task of, of bringing up children and of, of serving their families in love. Father in heaven, please bless our families. Grant that we may have real unity together, that we may have a spirit within our families where we flee from sin and where we have a lot of joy and where we experience the, the nearness of our Savior. We also pray, Lord, that you please would give us a good day for the rest, that we may have good fellowship, and that we may come together again this afternoon. Please grant that we have energy again for a new week of work that lies ahead of us. 
Please do these things, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you have the opportunity to give your thank offerings. The collection this morning is for the mission work in PNG. Then after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 40, the verses 1, 4, and 5. Okay, the collection, sorry, the collection's at the door. My apologies. So you, get the, you will have the opportunity to give your thank offering to God in just a moment when you walk out of church. So that at this time, you're invited to rise, and we're going to sing together from hymn 40. Receive now the blessing of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.